Hi, and welcome to The Mean. I'm Ryan Huber, and with me, as always, is Nick C. Graves. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ryan. Today, a very special episode of The Mean, episode 25. It's entitled Drag Queens. Mm. How do you feel about that, Nick? How do drag queens make you feel? At first, I didn't get it, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm Mm-hmm. Probably because I was, like, trying to, like, distance myself from anything, like, gay-related as yeah. I grew up. Yeah, I don't get it. What's a drag um, queen? What's that for? Yeah. What is it? Why would people do this? Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially growing up in, like, a pretty conservative Christian culture. Yep. Um, which almost gets, like, drag queens are, like, a double negative for Christian mm-hmm. culture. So it's, like, on one hand they don't want women to be like extravagant and sexualized and yep. crazy. Yep. And on the other hand, they, they don't want men being feminine. So it's like yep. you get, you get like the, the worst of both worlds. Well, my, my experience was they weren't really even talked about that much. It wasn't like it was it's so far outside mm-hmm. of people's experience where it's like, yeah, if drag queens are brought up, it's like, of course those are bad. And we just, we don't have anything to do with drag queens. Like they, like the, the Venn diagram of conservative Christianity and drag queens. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure there's <laughs> that, that little middle overlapping, you know, section. Yeah. That's true. And, I mean, I think in our age, most kids are introduced to marginal things, things that are not in the mainstream through some form of, you know, television, internet, radio, mass media. And I think for me, it was no different. When I was growing up, I think I had this like kind of just peripheral understanding that there was this thing where like guys dressed up like ladies and like it was mostly like guys who were like dancers or performers or I think I knew who RuPaul was by a pretty you know young adolescent pre-adolescent age because of TV because of music Mm -hmm. and I think that's probably if you ask people my age people in their early 30s kind of like what their consciousness of drag queens was unless they were growing up like in New York or LA or San Francisco or something I don't think most people would say oh yeah I knew a bunch of drag queens and it was totally normal to me yeah, there was like eight drag queens in my high school. They were really mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's true. And it still is a very small thing. I mean, it's, I think it's symbolic uh, purpose in the gay community has become more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual participants, the actual number of drag queens is not... I don't think it's it's not a huge it's it's a minority of a minority so it's like yeah. and at the same time you have you know RuPaul's Drag Race which is a mm-hmm. you know it's a TV show so it's on a it's on a cable you know channel what is it on E or logo a? logo okay mm-hmm. um, and so I mean obviously enough people watch it to make it worth producing and spending money on, you know, paying people to make it. So there's got to be some kind of market, if that's the right word, for yeah. drag, drag queenery. Yeah, well, that's, there's 
always been a market for it. I think drag as a concept is something that's very hard to trace um, mm -hmm. in its kind of like genesis. So in its modern form, you it's it's a crazy multifaceted kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But how it got there um, is really interesting. Okay, so, so I mean, before, before you dive into the yeah. history of it, I wanted to kind of offer a roadmap to our listeners, some of whom may have already turned off this episode. Um, mm -hmm. I think, one, we should explain why we think drag queens are a worthy topic for, mm -hmm. for a, a pop culture philosophy podcast. Two, I want you to kind of do what you're about to do, which is to dive into the history of kind of how we got here. And then three, you and I can kind of do an analysis of what drag queens mean today and how we think what we can take away from the whole concept of drag queens. But first and foremost, before we even go to the history, why do you think this is a, a topic that's even worth us spending an episode of the mean on? And, you know, we're going to spend an hour recording it. We're going to edit it. We're going to put it up. We're going to put in some effort and hopefully people are going to spend their time listening to this episode. So why is it worth it? Why are drag queens important enough to talk about? Yeah, um, I think they're worth it in and of themselves, if that makes sense. I know it sounds like a really bad argument, uh, but it's basically drag performers are doing something that is a almost completely unique mix of critique mm -hmm. of celebration mm -hmm. at the same time um of kind of resisting culture mm -hmm. and selling out to it mm -hmm. um there it's it is such a cross the concept of drag is such a crossroad for identity politics for mm -hmm. um social understanding for mm -hmm. it's almost like um i think the literary critic slash feminist slash philosopher Judith Butler, um, she kind of recognized this uh, when she was kind of formulating her theories of gender as performance. Drag queens were something that she viewed as like almost like a Kierkegaardian ethics of extreme in, in that situation. So these are literally people who are doing a performance based mm -hmm. on gender. Mm -hmm. So this is it at its like highest, most absurd level. And I would and say I think, for yeah. I, would, I would say for me that maybe the the reason I value this conversation and that I think it's a conversation that's worth having is that I be I think that drag queens serve as an example that weakens for me weakens false claims about. Um, about speech, about um, outrage, about, you know, the oppression Olympics we've talked about, about sort of the culture of trying to manufacture outrage and try to, um, so the outrage episode and the, the um, oppression Olympics episode, I think the lies for me, the things that I don't think are true that people claim are true about the whole politically correct culture and everything, I think... Mm -hmm. I think drag queens are could be a key, a potential key or a symbol to unlock or unravel that lie. Because I think drag queens, as we'll discuss later, somehow they get away with telling the truth about things. 
Yeah. And I think that's really powerful. So that's my reason for being fascinated with drag queens, aside from the aesthetic kind of thing, and that these are human beings who are going through probably, you know, tough things to try to express themselves. Like, like I think they show us lies we believe or are tempted to be sold by our greater culture about speech, about expression, about truth telling. Yeah. They're a funhouse mirror. You know, that's like a good analogy for me. It's, mm-hmm. They are, you know, I think that philosophic and, and historical and theological and ethical, blah, 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 critiques are kind of like the mirror towards society, like kind of, you know, look at yourself. Mm-hmm. But drag queens are, they show almost, they are living, you know, reductio ad absurdums in a lot yep. of ways. Yep. Like they, they, so like, they're going to show us things, yeah. they're going to show us things about our culture they're going to show us extreme versions of them in order to show us the absurdity that lies within the non-extreme versions yeah. that they're reflecting. So like you said, funhouse mirror. Like if you have kind of a big nose, when you see it in a funhouse mirror, you're like, wow, I have a really big nose. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, this shows society some of the seams. Um, do you have anything else to add about why this is an important topic or can we move into history? Um. I think some of the other importance will come up okay. in the discussion. So yeah. So give us a little history lesson from your perspective on, let's say, drag queens, mostly in the United States of America. Yeah. Well, I think the concept of drag has like a very rich tradition, um, especially, I mean, it's, I think, common knowledge now that like during Shakespeare plays, there were no women actors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Juliet was a man in drag. Um, I don't, they definitely didn't use the terminology and I don't think the people playing Juliet were like, I'm a drag queen, but yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so the traditions there. And I think for in terms of comedic performance, drag has always been something that people have found funny. Um, to your I think point, to your point, I've yeah. seen, um, <laughs> I've seen the American Film Institute's list of the hundred greatest comedies of all time. And this was done back like the, mm-hmm. toward the year 2000 when they were kind of saying like, after a hundred years of American film, what are the greatest dramas? What are the greatest films? Mm-hmm. What are the greatest comedies? When you look at the top 10 comedies, like five of them feature drag prominently. So, yeah. so comedy has used drag, like whether it's Tootsie, whether it's Some Like It Hot, whether it's a gentleman preferred blondes or whatever. I know I'm saying probably a movie that doesn't have drag in it, but um, <laughs> Arsenic and Old Lace. There's yeah. there's these, these great comedies that just happen to have a lot of men dressing up like women. Yeah. And I think the psychological underpinnings of comedy are very, um, they're not super well understood and I don't claim to have any special knowledge on that but I do think Freud is at least partially right when he's when he kind of um, theorizes that laughter and comedy are ways for us to um, deal with things that are uncomfortable so Mm -hmm. we find SNL to be very comforting because the presidential debate can be very, very scary. You know, it can be like, this is the future of our nation. Yeah. Yet millions of people want to see people do a Bernie Sanders impersonation because you, you get to laugh at something that yeah. is yeah. very serious. Because half the country um, is I, frightened by a Bernie Sanders presidency and half the, the mm-hmm. country 
is frightened by a Donald Trump presidency. So if you put those guys out there as clown versions of these people, which is not hard with Trump, by the way, um, mm-hmm. then you feel maybe a little bit better about it. Yeah. And it's the same way that Mel Brooks did with Hitler on ice mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. springtime for Hitler in the fifties and sixties, where it's like, we, this is all in the back of everyone's mind. Yeah. But we're kind of letting it, we're putting it in the space where we can deal with it. And I think, Drag is funny because gender has always been, especially post-19th century, something that we want to talk about and have a lot of questions about, mm-hmm. but don't really know how to talk about it. So yeah. and it's not isolated. Yeah. It's not isolated as a thing. Like drag is related to things like ethnicity, gender, sexuality, mm-hmm. gender norms, fashion, music, like mm-hmm. drag. Drag is kind of at the center or at the overlap of a lot of different, really important cultural and philosophical goings on. Yeah. And I think drag is particularly powerful in American society because it exposes one thread of implicit reasoning that I think a lot of people have in our society. Um, And that thread is if I can look like I can be someone, then I basically am that person. Yeah. So, so before um, we dive, before we dive more into that, which I think is a really important point, uh, we've said, you know, there is some kind of proto drag going on in Shakespeare. We've seen that mm-hmm. comedy movies, especially things considered comedy classics, involve some drag uh, men dressing like women in particular. Give us the last 50 or 60 years of this. Let's say starting with like post-World War II, 1950s. Like what, what has happened since then other than just yeah. movies with funny drag, you know, kind of things in them? Mm-hmm. Well, drag had a very important uh, role in the beginning of gay um, culture, even though because it was still underground. I guess it's still culture, mm-hmm. but it definitely wasn't like mainstream anyway. So like post-World War II, you had this really weird... Um, kind of political ethical discussion about homosexuality so on one end you have people being like you know the nazis did all these things to homosexuals Mm -hmm. and we're not really like down with that so we're gonna try to like be more progressive especially countries like france and uh west germany they Mm -hmm. had like um very, very, very liberal policies towards uh, homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a reaction against the fascist or, you know. Yeah, it's like a reaction to what just happened in yeah. a lot of ways. And that still took time and whatnot. But, I mean, it, it was happening. Yeah, um, America was, like, a little bit later to the game. And I don't. I think I talked about on the podcast my kind of running theory of, like, the different types of closets. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when it comes to like coming out, like people in the glass closet, which a lot of drag performers do fall into just because they normally live a little bit more uh, vocally and um, they're living in gay enclaves in big cities, particularly yeah. New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, West Hollywood. They're, they're flamboyant. They're clearly in many cases, more effeminate. They're, they're more expressive. Yeah. They're in artistic. As a general rule. As circles. a general rule. I mean, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm sure there's, yeah. Yeah. But if you're in a glass sure closet, that's that tends to be, you know, that we're we're using typology, and typology is always mm-hmm. um, more clear than reality. It always sort of yeah. pretends that blurry lines are clear, but it's a good heuristic device to talk about something. So you yeah. have your first type is the glass closet, which we just described. Yeah. 
And I think those people, because drag queens fit into that category more often than not, obviously, like you said, we're making generalizations, um, but for sake of argument, they kind of became the one public figure of gayness. So there were drag cabarets happening in West Germany, in New York, in San Francisco, that straight people would go to, or quote, straight people would go to Paris. And so it was kind of like a drag queens kind of created this space where it's like, there weren't like, I mean, there was obviously underground gay bars, but these were almost like pseudo open, pseudo closed gay spaces. Yeah, that isn't this fun? Sustained. Yeah, they sustained, like through their own performance, they created the space Mm -hmm. because people, straight people thought it was funny. Gay people Mm -hmm. thought it was funny. So it's something that a lot of people would participate in. Mm -hmm. And I think this is super evident in the role that people in drag played at the Stonewall riots. Mm -hmm. So um, talk about Stonewall a little bit. Like what was Stonewall? What did, what did it, you know, because not everybody knows what that is. Yeah. Stonewall, I think a lot of people would view it as at least symbolically the first like, victory-ish type, or not victory, but like the first uh, point of momentum Mm -hmm. for the gay rights movement. Mm -hmm. So Stonewall um, was a gay bar thing in -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. um, It was like a hotel, wasn't it? It was like a mixture. It was, I mean, well, that's what they all were. So these places were pretty seedy Mm -hmm. in general um, because it was on on paper, they were illegal still. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, it wasn't like, you know, this is a fun gay bar, LOL. It was more mm-hmm. like, this is something we don't really talk about, but everyone kind of knows mm-hmm. it's thing. And so what happened is, is the police come and they do a raid and there was like a backlash of violence, which like in my head, I imagine like giant drag queens, like fighting with police officers, which kind of did happen mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So, and it became pretty publicly well-known. There was a lot of imagery of, like, guys with, like, broken noses and, mm-hmm. like, bricks being thrown mm-hmm. and all these different things. And it was kind of, like, the first public um, moment of, wow, this is not great. And so legislation, the wheels of, like, legislation, legislative change started mm-hmm. turning mm-hmm. because of that. And drag queens were really at the forefront. I've heard people say like they were the front lines at mm-hmm. that type of thing. And it's probably because I'm assuming it's probably because spaces like Stonewall existed in part because of drag performances. Mm-hmm. So, so they obviously have a fundamental role in that. And then once um, homosexuality became decriminalized in America and things could be a little bit more open, even if they weren't accepted, uh, you have these giant not giant, but bigger organizations. So in the 70s, especially in New Orleans, which I know is weird, um, you had like, I think they're called the Sons of Tennessee William, which, you know, like really subtle name. Yeah. Um, they started doing these huge like parade type things. And these are like the first iterations of like gay pride parades. And they all dress up in these like gigantic, like it's almost like their boats. Like, you know, the boat parade in Fort yeah. Lauderdale? Yeah. Just imagine that being drag queens. So they have like these huge paper flower, gaudy feathers, glitter, I mean, this is, Mardi Gras. This is, yeah, this is, a, I was just about to say, this is sort of a, just an extension of Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. They basically took the concept of Mardi Gras and used it 
to express queerness, I guess, in a way. Which Mardi Gras already, if I had to say something that was queer about our society, Mardi Gras pretty up there. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a big leap. And that was kind of the 70s. There's a lot of backlash. Um, you also have Divine coming out. So Divine was probably the most famous drag Ex- queen. Explain, until- yeah, explain how Divine was famous. Like, what, what did, who mm-hmm. knew about Divine? So John Waters um, kind of came on the scene, and he did all these weird movies like Pink Flamingos, which she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the main character. She's the main character. She, she John Waters describes Divine as like his muse, mm-hmm. and like has these intense, like shaved his eyebrows, painted on these huge, like clown eyebrows that go all the way up to almost mm-hmm. his scalp. Um, overweight. There's a lot of really famous scenes of like her and like a crib and her like shooting people, mm-hmm. eating literal dog crap off the side of a street. Like it was very like, it was John Waters. So it was like experimental kind of postmodern film where you incorporate like really crass, low culture things into high culture settings. Um, so she did all of that. And I, I guess she would be most famous in in main culture because she was the mom in Hairspray. So the mom, John Waters wrote Hairspray and that's probably his most commercially successful movie franchise musical, whatever. And traditionally the mom is played by a man in drag. And in the most recent movie it was John Travolta, Mm -hmm. but originally it was divine. So, I mean, yeah. So there was like, there was at least public knowledge of that. And also, while this was happening in the late 70s, the New York club scene was becoming incredibly influential. And you have a lot of uh, drag culture breeding and growing in that. And through the 80s, we move away from kind of like the big showboaty stuff and into um, the kind of like Vogue era. And not Vogue in the Madonna way, but Vogue in like these men would make these houses... Um, not literal houses, but they're almost basically gangs, but they would like compete with each other by dressing up and like dancing and the style that they dance in was bogey. So, which then Madonna kind of took and became, made it popular. I mean, um, wildly popular. But made it wildly popular. Like huge. Um, like, but that Vogue, became, Vogue became a thing. Like voguing became like mm-hmm. this, this world. I would say that's the point at which people started to become more like, and I mean like, a housewife in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, who had... Knew what Vogue was. Yeah, because they were listening to Madonna. And at that time is when drag started, I don't want to say assimilating, but more as, like, taking on things. So drag queens dress like Parisian supermodels. You know, like, drag queens dress like dynasty characters. Like, they started being more less like flamboyant showbody i mean still definitely very flamboyant but more like almost like a very sim it was like a it was a the approximation was so it was shrinking you know so you're, you're getting these people who look like supermodels are even if like supermodels they're doing such a good job acting like they are it's mm-hmm. almost like frightening and as that goes on into the 90s, RuPaul comes on the scene, which is like the first 
established queen, I guess. And so you have someone who, I mean, RuPaul started out by having a, you know, top 10 billboard hit musically saying, don't go breaking my heart with Elton John. Uh, He was a spokesperson for Mac cosmetics for five years in the Mm nineties. So you have a man dressed as a woman selling makeup to women in the, in, in the nineties. He had a, television show on vh1 in the late 90s a bunch of talk shows books blah 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 so like basically running this he's basically acting like any other celebrity does yeah um but is a drag queen so that's almost like the point of making it a concrete everyone knows what a drag queen is now Mm -hmm. even if you've never met one and you've never gone to a drag show yeah you know at least what a drag queen is yeah and if you're around if you're a teenager in the year 2001 and somebody says to you, hey, do you know what a drag queen is? So, like, honestly, this happened in my circle of friends. Someone would be like, yeah, like RuPaul, right? Mm-hmm. So RuPaul literally became synonymous with drag queen. Mm-hmm. So that was I obviously was like an a... important moment. Yeah, well, it went from being a purely underground New York, L.A., San Fran thing to being something that could be marketed, something that could be enjoyed by a large part of society. I mean, RuPaul was in the Brady Bunch movie. Yeah. You know, like this isn't, this isn't as removed as it had been for the last couple of decades. Um, And I think recently with the advances in gay rights and getting gay marriage and kind of those victories, drag queens have become kind of like, a symbol, I guess, for a lot of gay culture. Yeah. Um, I think some people started taking that to an extreme. Like, I remember when I was in LA, there's this group of drag queens out there called, like, the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Yeah. Which, like, their whole stick is, like, dressing as nuns. And they... And it, it's still a parody, but they also provide, like, these weird pseudo-spiritual ceremony-esque things for gay events. Yeah. Which... It's kind of like bringing on this, like, drag queens, because of their symbolic value to gay culture, because of the history I just communicated to you, Yeah, is like, it is like a shaman-esque, like, Mm -hmm. position. And I I think some people view it like that. I still kind of view it as, like, an art form. If I had to say my view of it, I think it's really interesting. I think it takes a lot of skill. And I think some of them are very 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 good at what they do and are very funny mm-hmm. um like almost funny enough to give mainstream comedians a run for their money mm-hmm. in a lot of ways and so All right let's that's what i enjoy about it let's shift into we have to answer a few questions before we get into like the deeper what does this mean for our society the stuff we really like to do here on the main what are mm-hmm. some let's dig a little deeper into what drag queens are today as we know them what are some what are some co- components of being a drag queen that might not be might not be per- perceived or or seen or found in all drag queens but let's say there's a there's a a plurality of drag queens that share this aspect mm-hmm. or this characteristic or this facet of what it means to be a drag queen. In other words, let's do a little bit of a of a reading of what a drag queen is, what we understand a drag queen to be here and now today, and then we can move into some more specific things that they do and how that affects society or how it shows us 
that that like you said the fun the fun house mirror of society yeah so being a good deridian i will try to describe drag queens in contrast to what they're not in some ways okay i think a lot of confusion comes with especially in our contemporary culture now that we've begun having conversations about transgender people yep. more publicly i think some people conflate being in drag being transgender and being a transvestite into mm -hmm. being one thing yeah so, and we can we can get more into the relationship between drag queens and transgendered people later because i think that is a really important part of this conversation <laughs> like what's the difference between a drag queen and caitlin jenner you know, like yeah. that, that's a question a lot of people probably either don't ask or do ask and don't really know the accurate and accurate uh, answer to. But but why, I guess, just on a basic level, why is a drag queen different from someone who's transgendered or someone who's a transvestite? Yeah. I think the contrast will bring out some of their like central things. Um, so a, a, a drag queen and like you said, generally, when they are personifying a woman there's always an element of exaggeration okay. so um whereas a transvestite might be someone who enjoys dressing and uh in living as a woman um and a transgender person might be someone who wants to become a woman literally mm -hmm. they a drag queen is someone who's who by definition i think a really fundamental thing is it's always a performance so rupaul is a gay man who mm -hmm. dresses up as rupaul who puts on makeup mm -hmm. and prosthetics and everything to become rupaul mm -hmm. and so in that way it's it is less about personal identity mm -hmm. and more about a performative uh, like function. Would you say so, that all drag queens have a persona that is not identical to who they are as, as a person? Yeah. Basically, Beyonce's Sasha, Sasha Fierce is Beyonce's drag queen okay. version of herself, okay. basically. Um, it's, it's one of those things where this persona that they create, they name it you know mm -hmm. and so and there's like a there's there's like a history of what kind of name you get yeah or are given or do and um a lot of them are normally really bad puns but yeah can be good too um but it's like a lot of these people when you see them out of drag a lot of times they're like super normal day-to-day -day people but on when they're in on their game when they're performing it's a, it's almost like it's, it's supposed to be larger than life. They're supposed to be so confident. They're supposed to be so glamorous, so feminine that it's almost overwhelming. It's, it's excessive. So everything about drag is excessive, which is why it is so much makeup and so many, the wigs are so crazy and everything is, it's supposed to have this element of like, baroque excessiveness when it comes to women like a drag mm -hmm. queen isn't a person who is trying to normally you know again isn't trying to trick someone into thinking that they're a woman you know like mm -hmm. that's not really there. Now, yeah, that i was gonna really i was gonna say i was gonna say it i was i was gonna ask you mm -hmm. a drag queen isn't trying to pass right mm -hmm. i mean some are well there's 
So fishy. Uh, I mean, so some so yeah. some drag queens are trying to pass. Yeah, it depends on what their ideal of drag is. So really, there's 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 a spectrum, mm-hmm. and on one end you have like comedy queens who are like this. I'm basically a comedian, and this is my shtick. Like I'm dressed as a woman, you know. Like that's it. So like Bob the drag queen in his name. In and of itself, his name is Bob the Drag Queen. Yeah. So it's like, it's already communicating to you that she is not even pretending to, like, put on a persona of, like, pure, like, I'm a real woman. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, you have people who will do every, I mean, they will get plastic surgery to make themselves look more like um, a woman in drag. Um, so it, it, it depends. And I, I, the term used for a drag queen that looks like a real woman is that she's fishy. Okay. Um, or that she's serving fish. Those okay. are the two kind of interchanges there. I think I don't really need to explain where that yep. reference came from. Yep. Um, but so like a fishy queen would be someone who's like, who's part, and, and uh, here's the other thing too. A lot of people want to look more like women because it's even funnier when they do do things. So it's not just purely to be like, I really, really, really want to look like a woman. Some of them like the artistry that it takes to turn a 185-pound man into a, a, a feminine person. You know? yeah. So they, they, they see that as like a challenge and they want to make it more believable or more whatever. But even in those situations, they're not like I'm a soccer mom you know like you don't go to a drag show and it's like hey I'm doing hyper realistic fishy drag as a 41 year old soccer mom in Tennessee like no one like that that won't be it it will be like I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the best Diana Ross impersonator you've ever seen and I'll really 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 look like her to the point of it being like scary Mm -hmm. so it's still even if they become more like women they're women who aren't really women anyways yeah <laughs> i know yeah, that sounds yeah. awful well it's but, yeah. they're only they're only glamorous women yeah and most she women is as much of a woman as like you know i don't know i'm as much of a woman i don't know what i'm even trying to say <laughs> like share is such a construct of like performance that yeah. it's yeah you know what i mean like it's, yeah I yeah I'm, that, I'm that, that okay. well yeah. I would say it this way. Most women aren't glamorous in the way that famous women and drag queens are glamorous. Mm-hmm. Like your mom, your mom doesn't look like Taylor Swift when she's, when she's performing a concert. Yeah. And this is what I was trying to say. Taylor Swift doesn't look like Taylor Swift when she's performing. A concert. Yes. So, like, no one, people are also not like, I'm Diana Ross going to get a diabetes shot at a mm-hmm. doctor's office. You mm-hmm. know, like, they're like, I'm Diana Ross 1979 at Studio 54. You know, like, I, they're not, you know, like, so. Yeah. I'm not overweight yeah. Britney Spears in between tours who's going to get some ice cream at a Vons. Yeah, that's, they don't do that. Although, I would actually really love to see that. Yeah. If I'm being honest with you. Um, I think that'd be very funny, but there is that element. So I guess what I'm trying to say, even when they are be looking more realistic, they're still imitating things that are larger than life. Yeah. So that's the basic point. Um, All right. So, so my favorite part about drag queens, and I want you to 
to correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm being too broad here, my favorite part about drag queens is, you know, you and I have watched the, the documentary Paris is burning. Um, <laughs> I, I just love reading and throwing mm-hmm. shade, reading and throwing shade yeah. are my two favorite things. And it's probably just because I like arguing and I like mm-hmm. comedy, but could you explain to us like a technical definition of what reading and throwing shade are? Yeah. So reading is like a verbal argument with someone, basically. So like when you read someone, you're like, oh, well, you look like Britney Spears in between tours going to get ice cream out of Vons. Like that's a pretty good read. You know, like if someone's a Britney Spears impersonator Mm -hmm. and like they and they look like that instead of like I'm a slave for you, Britney Spears, that would be a really good read. Yeah. So it's it's almost like it's not just a verbal argument. It's more like we talked about with the sophist yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's almost like a purely rhetorical. It's who can be a true in terms of accuracy. Yeah. I was going to really say, like, unlike the sophists, yeah. unlike the sophists, like yeah. sophists are trying to convince people that something that is only partially true is totally true. And I, mm-hmm. and I think it, it's similar but different with with reading because reading is trying to pull out the truest things about someone that they would never want somebody to say out loud. Yeah, and ex- and making it funny—that's yeah. the biggest thing. So the entire culture operates on: Are you clever? Are you pretty? And do you have an attitude? Mm-hmm. And if you're missing one of those things, then you better make sure that the other things are better you like know if someone mean? was reading so, me they could say oh look at this guy he's a he's a fat slouchy version of jimmy fallon or something right yeah like and even like, then it would be like you know so there's also a delicate there's like a a good read should be reciprocated with not laughter but enjoyment so it's like it's mm-hmm. supposed to be so the whole thing about drag is the read should be so clever mm-hmm. that it's funny enough that even the person who's being read like saying oh you have like stage three hiv and look like shit that's not a good <laughs> read like no like no one it should be entertaining to funny. somebody and even the person themselves so like a lot of times like if you watch rupaul's drag race and they get into these heated arguments the person on the receiving end will eventually start laughing, yeah. you know, because it's, yeah. there's an element of the reads are so they're phrased in such a way to be so clever mm-hmm. that you can't help but enjoy them, even if it's at your own expense. Mm-hmm. So that's a good read. Calling someone an asshole isn't a good read. Mm-hmm. Like, so like if like, you and I, yeah. if you and I met up with met up for lunch or something and you are wearing a tweed jacket, uh, and you were kind of, you look sort of college professorial. I would try to incorporate mm-hmm. that into my read, but also stuff that I knew about you as a person. And I would try to make it something that you recognize the truth of mm-hmm. in my comment, but that also there's something slightly uncomfortable with it. But the way that I said it is funny enough for you to still laugh at it, even though you're uncomfortable. Yeah. They're basically proving Freud right again, where it's okay. like, it's funny to you because maybe you don't like people talking about this in public, but because it's framed in a, in a, in a, like a skeleton of humor, it's still enjoyable. And so it's kind of like laughing at yourself, which I think drag queens are normally pretty good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right. shade. Yeah. Shade. What's the difference Shades, between reading and yeah, throwing shade? So shade is something that, so reading an active thing 
Mm-hmm. Shade is more of a kind of passive thing. So it's kind of, you know, the con- like if you think of the metaphor, throwing shade is in terms of theater, they don't say this, but it's if you stood in front of someone's light. You know what I mean? Like you're you're putting them in the shadow. Yeah. So like if you would say something like, Oh, do you think you'll have time to put on all that makeup, you know, because it normally takes you well if you but just like i don't know if we're gonna have time to do that because it takes you so long to put on your makeup mm-hmm. is kind of like so it's like, pa- it's like it's like, pa- it's like passive aggressive yeah and it can also be done through like if you if someone if they're you know dancing if they're having a dance a vogue battle or something or mm-hmm. like if they're whatever even if the person's not actively insulting them if they're better at it they're throwing shade you know if okay. they if it's almost like it's basically you, you don't have. To, I think the 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 queen and and um, Harrison's burning says, "Shade is I don't have to tell you that you're ugly. You already know that you're ugly. Like yeah. it's like it's almost like well, it's putting I'm you in your place. Things. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's also just like bringing you down through yeah. certain." Through certain passive actions, which can be, you know, aggressive, but um, it's definitely not. Reading is like a, a is always a verbal type of like ordeal in that set. And I think all of these terms with fish, reading, shade, kiki, all this stuff that they've invented, this kind of um, jargon, really, yeah. of the culture, it's fun. I'm actually not a huge fan of it, but it it kind of shows you how much of a microculture it is that this vocabulary of, of words is still used today, mm-hmm. maybe in an ironic sense at mm-hmm. this point, but it's still something that, like, they know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, cult- it's a subculture. It's a, it's a type of community. It's a shorthand. It's a, it's a um, what do you call it, like uh, an impenetrable language kind of a thing, like you said, mm-hmm. jargon. Now, how does this relate to the current, like, I would say the last two or three years in particular, where there's been a lot of friction or some friction and a lot of confusion and kind of mixed messaging from different sectors of of the queer community. And by that, I mean, not all, you know, gay men who are lawyers are agreeing Mm -hmm. with a lot of the sort of effusive praise of Caitlyn Jenner, for example. There's this trans mm-hmm. thing and this gay gay community, gay marriage, queer stuff, and then drag queens. Where does this all fit in? If you had to kind of give us a topography of, like, I'm a gay man and I'm kind of like like any other dude, only instead of, like, wanting to be with a woman, I want to be with a man. How is that different than these other sort of segments, especially the trans community? And then how do – how have drag queens either – fit into that or bucked the system of sort of classification of, uh, of mm-hmm. queer folk. Yeah. Well, the relationship has been tenuous in the past, I think simply because we didn't have the language, you know, like transgenderism um, wasn't something that a large majority of people even knew was a thing. So including people who I think in today's standards would, 
label themselves as transgender. So even in Paris is Burning, there are a couple drag queens in that documentary who are very clearly transgender. They yeah. say things like, I want to get a surgery to become a woman. I yeah. want to live. I hate taking off the drag, you know, yeah. like there's, and there's other uh, drag queens in that who have no desire to do that whatsoever. And so that I was in the 80s, correct? Or like early 80s? Late 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Okay, late 80s. So, um, so as that, as, as the phrasing and the typology became more prevalent, I think now the confusion inside of the drag community isn't as much, but for culture as a whole, I think there is still a confusion of like, okay, so you want to be a woman? I mean, growing up where I grew up in the late two, two O's or whatever we're calling them, um, I like to call like, them the aughts. The aughts. I remember talking to someone in um, in a leadership position at my college who was like, so do you, like, so is this you, is it because you want to imitate women? And this is just me being gay. So I couldn't imagine someone also being gay and being a drag queen and then also trying to explain to someone like, oh, no, I don't want to be a woman. Yeah. I just dress up like one for performance. Yeah, I think that's like, the most confusing yeah. thing for more cisgender or straight or non-queer mm-hmm. people if if the, if we yeah. actually are. If, if, you know, that's a real thing. And I think like it's the confusing the point. The confusing thing is like, okay, so you kind of want to be a woman, but you don't really want to be a woman. Mm-hmm. So could you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Drag is a culture of fantasy and uh, wish fulfillment. And it always has been. So you dress up like supermodels and billionaires and celebrities because it's it's fun. You know, that's more fun than dressing up as a soccer mom. Yeah. Um, and I think that is the foundation for that. So the drag community is I want to imitate Marilyn Monroe and like old Hollywood glamour because I find it a tr- attractive uh intellectually and i get to live it for a couple hours you know on the weekends when i do my performances like Mm -hmm. and that's their career it's the same way that someone who wants to be a rock star you know i don't think or at least i hope not (laughs) i don't think trent reznor lives in a house with like steam pipes and like weird tinted windows and like just chainsaws running all the time in the background but his onstage performance mm-hmm. and the way that he looks, the way that Taylor Swift operates as yeah. a musician, like I hope, I pray to God Taylor Swift does not treat men in her actual life the way she does in her music. But it's a performance. I'm sure it feels good to be that like catty, bitchy, jealous person because that is a side of every person. And yeah. it's kind of like letting it out. And I think for drag queens, it's like, I get to be a glamorous millionaire supermodel mm-hmm. who's in complete control mm-hmm. for five hours. And that's fun. And I know it's fun. And I think that's healthy when you recognize that. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference between that and a trans person is there isn't a fantasy. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. there's a fantasy in the strictest sense of like a wish. Mm-hmm. but Like I want there's... to be something that I am not currently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I just want to, I want to be a woman, you know, like, 
a trans person wanting to be a woman is as much as me wanting to get married in 2008. You know, like, it's not that it's like, I need to get married in a giant cathedral and have tons of millions of people there and whatever. It's more like, I just want the option available. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot more to do with who that person is than it is with a, a fantasy they want. All right, well, let, let me ask you a question specifically about Caitlyn Jenner and that kind of a, tra- <laughs> a trans trans experience or transition or phenomenon. As Caitlyn Jenner came out at post some surgery, but not all the surgery and a makeover and all these things after kind of being in hiding for a while, big announcement of public appearances, cover of, was it Vogue magazine? I forget what magazine it was. Vanity Fair. It's it's one of them. Mm -hmm. There's this big discussion about, Oh, look, Caitlyn Jenner wants to be a young glamorous, beautiful woman, even though Bruce Jenner was an older, aging, you know, still athletic man. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, you know, a multiple time Olympic medalist. Um, What is the, what would be the differences and similarities between that kind of a, a trans situation where it's like this guy clearly does want to be glamorous this guy clearly has the money to be mm-hmm. glamorous this caitlin jenner now she wants to be a young glamorous well-dressed red lipstick person but i still don't think that caitlin jenner is a drag queen right no no so well, what, what's the distinction there yeah well she's always engaged as as they would say so like she's she there is no taking off that, you know, that isn't makeup and a chest plate. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it is makeup, but it's not the level of makeup that is there. I think what this is showing is why the idea of a living celebrity is horrifying to me. So, mm-hmm. like, I view the Caitlyn Jenner phenomenon not as Caitlyn Jenner is a person who did something really weird with being trans. I view it as Caitlyn Jenner is a celebrity who is trans. So, like, if you are a celebrity and you are trans, that means something completely different than if you are someone who is a, you know, coal miner in West Virginia who is trans. Like, you're, like, Caitlyn Jenner in the position that she's in, in Hollywood as a woman now, what else was she supposed to do? And that's not justifying any of it, Mm -hmm. but I don't really, for the majority of female celebrities, being a young, hot woman is what you do for as long as possible, period. And and could you talk a little bit about how that relates to feminist critiques of what men think women should be? Like, how does that relate? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's kind of... I don't want to speak for her. I mean, that goes without saying. Yeah. Obviously. Like okay. we don't, we don't have secret insight into yeah. her. I'm less concept. concerned about Caitlyn Jenner as a person, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and more concerned about yeah. Caitlyn Jenner as a topic of discussion, which is because yeah. Caitlyn Jenner became a symbol and a locus of a conversation about what it means to be a woman, what it means to be trans, what it means to be a feminist, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think drag queens can give us, a kind of a different um, angle on this. So that's kind of what I'm asking you. I'm asking you to do a really tough yeah. thing here, which is to comment on that nexus of feminism, trans 
you know, for gay, me, gay rights and drag queen and all that kind of stuff in the same neighborhood. If I'm putting all my cards on the table, okay, cool. I'm glad you transitioned. I'm happy for you. And I'm not saying any of that facetiously, even though my tone maybe says otherwise. Um, however, you bought into the thing that drag queens are making fun of, or at least should be making fun of. I so think there it is. I, I think there it is. Yeah. Drag queens are making fun of something that seems like mm-hmm. some trans people take very seriously and that feminist mm-hmm. takes seriously on in a negative way. Yeah. I think that for the majority of trans people, from what I've seen and what I've read, Caitlyn Jenner is an outlier. You know, I don't think there's a lot of people who want to get gender reassignment surgery and then the next day get like lipo and a facelift and Botox and hair implants. You know, like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that's going to be a trend. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think she's kind of an outlier, but what it shows you is this has more to, this has less to do with being queer and more to do with just like every woman in our culture and just saying like, is this the expectation? You know, like, is this it? Like, is this what the ideal female object person is? And I think drag queens, um, this sounds really nerdy, but you know, like, the fantasy archetype of, like, a black sorcerer or, like, a warlock or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, like, they deal with, like, the dark magics or demons or whatever, but they do so to kind of like use it against the thing in and of itself. Well, there's one, um, there's one like, type called the magical Negro. It's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Like in film, like that's a real, it's yeah. a real, you know, like you, like we've talked yeah. about like gay stereotypes in yeah. the tropes. It's a trope. Yeah, it's a trope, but it's, it's the idea of like, I'm going to take this incredibly destructive force and kind of turn it in on itself Yeah, for, against the the thing and i think that um what the danger and in the trope there's always the danger of like actually succumbing to it and being you know evil and i think with drag queens there's this thing of like you are getting to be a glamorous celebrity for a little while and i think for some of them they do fall into the trap of that's what they live for Mm -hmm. from then on out but i think the smartest of them are doing what you said it's this is if what I'm doing is an exaggeration, but in reality, it's really not that far off from like the Kardashians, mm-hmm. you know, and the Kardashians are a great example because they are different from Cher and Britney Spears and Lady Gaga, because we get to see those people on stage doing crazy shit. Yeah. But the Kardashians are people who we know them as a culture for sitting in a room on a sofa and texting other people. Yeah. And it's, it, there's some type of like, this isn't a stage like this. This is how they live every single day all the time. Well, yeah. And I and think, I think, I, I think yeah. what drag Queens are trying to point out is what Kim Kardashian does on a daily basis to, to make herself Kim mm-hmm. Kardashian and what Caitlyn Jenner does on a daily basis to make herself Caitlyn Jenner and what a drag queen does on a ba- daily basis to become Bob the drag queen and what Taylor Swift does mm-hmm. to perform as Taylor Swift aren't all that different. No, they're all performances. And that's what Judith Butler was getting at. Um, I think that 
it goes the what I said at the very beginning, the kind of implicit reasoning of, and they say this in Paris is Burning, is if I could look like a New York executive, you know, mm-hmm. then why couldn't I be one? Mm-hmm. And I think for so many people in our culture, because of, I don't want to sound like an old man, but because of consumerism and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Um, I think we, the first thing we look at is how someone looks before anything else. So it's like, if, if this person looks well put together, then they are put together. And I think drag queens kind of throw, they, I think, yes, they critique how women dress, but they just kind of critique how human beings look at things, period. So it's like, this is someone who's confident and has huge boobs and has great hair and is dancing and doing splits and is having a lot of fun. And because of that, we just assume that's how they are. When in reality, they could be like a 35-year-old dude who like works at Verizon, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like, I'm playing with how you judge people. I'm yeah. playing with how you judge a woman, how you judge men, how you judge success, how you judge confidence. And all of it's through makeup and lighting and wigs, which are stupid. You know, like it's yeah. kind of, yeah. yeah, it's it's really, it's like very critical in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think it's, it's asking the question to people, like, who are you really? Underneath all of the mm-hmm. stuff that you the clothes that you wear and the makeup you put on or the plucking and the shaving and the washing and the, the, the creams and the lotions and the things, both men and women here. Like, who mm-hmm. are you? Who are you actually? Like, cause I can be a pretty good imitation of what you say you are. And as that, a joke. Yeah. As like, a joke. The thing. Like, yeah. Like you're kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah. Like everything I'm doing is a joke. And it's interesting that you bring up like manscaping and stuff mm-hmm. like that, because recently there's been a huge influx of drag kings okay. who are like women, mostly lesbian, sometimes not, um, who personify male figures and like to an extreme, mm-hmm. which I think has only recently gained traction because male figures are becoming increasingly more ridiculous as well Yeah, um, in ways that are easy, easy more easy to the parody. Mm-hmm. I think men have been ridiculous for as long as the world. Well, in in terms of like we're running out of time, so like in terms of like a final mm-hmm. takeaway, what would you say about what drag queens show us about our own political and social and philosophical culture right now besides the gender thing, which I think is totally salient, it's mm-hmm. totally a great point. It shows us kind of how gender in some ways is a performance and all the things we've said about the relationship between gay people, trans people, drag queens, that aside, what does it say to the larger culture about kind of the conversations we're having about identity, about politics, about outrage, and about sort of the oppression Olympic side of things? What do you, what's your analysis of kind of what we can gain, what we can take away from drag queens on that front? Yeah, I think in contemporary thought, what drag queens offer the most is their methodology. Okay. And I, and I don't mean that in a literal way. Like, I don't think that drag should be the way we talk about every issue. Um, but these are people who can do kind of whatever they want to make fun of, you know? So they've paid the price, you know? So this is something, I know we're running out of time, but I, the last thing I wanted to say, um, there's also a thought in, in the philosophy of drag that 
these people get to be so ridiculous and are accepted as much because they've already humiliated themselves by dressing as women, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah, so, so they, they've like, already done something that makes them unserious for many people. Mm-hmm. And whether that's right or wrong, obviously it's not great, but it's humiliating to pretend to be a woman for a man. Um, but there's, they've already like paid the toll. So mm-hmm. then they're allowed to speak freely about yeah. a lot of things. It's, yeah. it's the classic like jester archetype. So it's like, because this person's like the court clown, they can also get away with saying things like, hey, the king's a tyrant, ha ha, yeah. like, you yeah. know what I mean? And everyone's like, So yeah. because, because they don't take themselves seriously, they get to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. And because, and this goes back to reading, and this goes back to what drag is in and of itself, a performance, even the way that you read someone else, is something that is inviting to a viewer, to an audience. It's something that goes out of its way to make its message um, digestible in some ways. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of current dialogue is like, mm-hmm. it's not my job to educate you, you know, and like, you mm-hmm. should come to me if you need something, blah, 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 blah. But I think drag queens have been such a powerful force of, of change for the gay community because they're funny. And if you're funny, you want, people to laugh you know so you want there to be an audience you want there to be a bunch of drunk girls on a bachelorette party who go to drag shows you know like you want you you want there to be and there's an almost inclusion uh aspect of it that i think is missing from so much contemporary dialogue yeah and i would just put a cherry on this by saying I think we need more bold voices in society who are willing to say what they think the truth is. Consequences be damned. You know? Yeah. People, and I think that's honestly one of the reasons for the rise of Donald Trump. He doesn't tell the truth. He pretends to tell the truth. He's not, he's not a straightforward person. He's actually like a snake oil salesman, but people think he's that guy who tells the truth. Consequences be damned. And you can really insulate yourself from consequences when you have a billion or two billion or three billion dollars. Um, and when you're just kind of a liar, but I think people are thirsty for that thing that drag Queens offer, which is I've already done the hard work of basically saying, I've shown you that I don't give a crap about what you think about me, even though I kind of do, Mm -hmm. but I, that gives me an an extraordinary position and power to say true things that other people would be shouted down and would be marginalized and would be shamed for saying. Yeah. Drag Queens do a good job at saying, I don't care what society thinks, but I do care what you think. And I think that's a huge, Mm -hmm. the best drag queens are people who disagree with men, but still listen to a man, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense, if that metaphor works. It's, it's, I'm putting on the attire and acting like a woman, which society says no, no, but I want everyone to laugh and enjoy it you know it's a performance so and basically it's, it's what i'm saying is to, that donald yeah. trump is is a politician version of a drag queen yeah he's playing a politician in the same way that a drag queen is playing a woman exactly and it's yeah it's pretty funny all right we nailed it nick nice all right nick so next week for episode 26 uh, i wanted to talk about party lines 
Mm-hmm. And so party lines aren't just a political thing because this is not a strictly political podcast we do here on the meme. It's any community, any group, any identification who says, well, you're not a real blank if you don't do X, Y, or Z. So it's about mm-hmm. how much of something do you have to be? How much of the party line do you have to toe to be a, a good example, like a true Scotsman, for example? Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you have to be to be a true Scotsman? What do you have to be to be like a good representative of what it means to be gay or what it means to be a Republican or what it means to be a Christian. So I think that'll be an interesting topic. Uh, But for this week, uh, this has been Ryan. And Nick. And you will hear from us next week. Bye. Yeah.